Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Grain by Train podcast for Grain Week 6, where we discuss how rail service performance is impacting the movement and export of Western Canadian grain. I'm Greg Northey from Pulse Canada, and I'm joined by Emile Proyer of QGI Consulting, who manages the Ag Transport Coalition, a consortium of agriculture groups that produce data and reports on rail service and performance. How are you doing today, Milt? I'm good, Greg. How are you? Good, thanks. So we are into Grain Week 6. Um, pretty good steady rep- performance again. What did you see in the report this week? Well, as you say, uh, another good week, I think, for both railways. You know, CN is uh, certainly holding their own right around the same place they were in week five, 93%. CP continues to be near perfect week in and week out. Um, but what's most interesting uh, for me is that the, the performance for both railways held um, in the face of the highest demand, uh, car order demand that we've seen so far this year. Uh, you put the two railways together this year for week six, total demand was over just a hair over 8,000 uh, cars, which while lower than, you know, some weeks when we're in peak, um, was actually a 40% jump from the week before, which is not insignificant. Um, and, and the week before, week five, was significantly higher than, you know, weeks one to four. So we've been climbing the hill pretty steady, week six being the biggest so far, although the test will continue uh, coming up week seven, week eight. Uh, the view of demand that we have for those weeks says that uh, hopper car orders are going to probably break through 9,000 cars in each of those weeks. So that will be another step up in demand. And this, frankly, is a reflection of, uh, you know, the beginning of what people call the traditional fall peak shipping season, you know, which generally, depending on harvest, starts middle to late September and, and goes all the way through to either the end of December or into January. Um, so we are seeing the numbers go up. We are seeing the, the trend in the curve that we would expect to see at this time of the year. And in absolute terms, the numbers remain smaller than last year, uh, but f- you know, more or less now falling into line with the three-year average uh, for weeks seven and eight. So, uh, we'll see, you know, the railways are going to have a bit of a challenge, three straight weeks with heavy volumes, heavier than they've seen for some time. We'll see how they do. Yeah, very promising. And uh, we'll get into this conversation a bit later in the podcast around the visibility and, and how other commodities are, are, are utilizing the network or whether there's peak demands there. But, you know, whenever you see a, a jump like that, 40% increase from week to week and they can handle it, that's always a good sign. From a provincial standpoint, um, anything caught your eye there? They seem to be pretty steady there as well. Yeah, very good. Uh, again, and you, you would expect that. I mean, we've often seen cases where, you know, top level performance is good for both railways. And then when you start to dig down into the individual provinces, you see some significant discrepancies. We saw a little bit of that early uh, in this grain year, but it's kind of smoothed out over the last few weeks. And, and week six was another example of pretty consistent performance for both railways across, you know, each of the prairie provinces. CN still seems to have a bit of a, a struggle, if you will, quote unquote, um, with Alberta, although they did get better in week six and they hit 
90% order fulfillment, which is certainly a respectable number. Um, I think for me, though, the, the really good sign that I saw for CM in, uh, in week six was uh, the return of Prince Rupert. So there's, there was a long stretch at the end of the last grain year where there was effectively no grain going to Prince Rupert. Uh, we started out the first few weeks of this grain year with no grain going to Prince Rupert. And now over, you know, weeks five, six, seven, eight, the volumes to Rupert are coming back. Um, in week six, they were sizable, uh, over a thousand cars, which was three times the volumes to Rupert that we saw in week five. And CN did well. I mean, on a system basis, they basically hit about 97% of those orders on time in week six. So that's, uh, that's good. Yeah, it's definitely good to see Rupert come back. Important port. Um, yeah, and we'll see how it continues. I think as demand grows, we'll, if we keep seeing 90s like this in the next few podcasts, that'd, that'd be great. Um, so we've been previewing this, this talking about the idea of rail network visibility for the, for a, a few podcasts now, obviously, you know, this is a podcast devoted to monitoring the, the rail system and within the grain sector where we have a lot of programs that are able to do that. And it's, it's an important thing to be able to do to see how performance is happening. Um, but obviously it's, it's not the same for all the commodities, but so let's just take a look at rail network visibility mail. What, what is it in the, in the, in how we sort of describe it as uh, as the grain sector or how we know it, maybe give us a little, little overview of, of what it is that we're talking about when we think about rail network visibility. Sure. Um, this is an issue that has been of significant interest for freight shippers for a number of years now. Um, in varying degree, if you will, across commodity sectors. Uh, grain, I would say, obviously at the forefront, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Um, most recently, the government has become re-engaged in this issue, uh, which is you know, a function of legislation that was passed in 2018. But as to, as to what it is, you know, people... Uh, when you start to drill down on it, if, if you could see what you wanted to see in, in under network visibility, quote unquote, what would that be? Um, have different views, um, more detail, less detail, this kind of performance data versus some other kind of performance data. But at the highest level, really, it's, it's the ability to see how the railway network is performing. And for some, you could add, you know, in near real time or in some period of time. Most of the visibility that's out there is, is post-performance. Um, but anyway, it's uh, very broadly stated, it's, it's about how the railway network is performing and the ability to see that. So right now we only have uh, really two uh, entities that have visibility on rail network in any meaningful way. Uh, the Grain Monitoring Program, of course, which the federal government set up in 2001, um, and the work that's being done at ADC, which we've had underway and has been growing since about 2013. There are a few other things that have gone on and are going on in this area. Um, you know, the government uh, 
funded what's known as the West Coast Port Visibility Project, which is a multi-industry initiative that uh, was started by Transport Canada. Um, initially was focused very much on the Port of Vancouver, and I think they have aspirations to expand to you know, the Port of Prince Rupert and perhaps um, other export ports on the East Coast. Um, there is the ongoing initiative right now by government um, to develop railway performance data. This is an effort that comes out of the uh, legislation in 2018, the Transportation Modernization Act. And uh, this work's been going on for the better part of three years now. So the expectation is that there's going to be a suite of measures that's going to become publicly available in late 2022 to somewhere in early 2023. Um, and lastly, you know, we do know that there are a number of private sector players out there that offer services in this arena, if you will, um, directly to shippers using a variety of different technologies, whether it's camera-based systems or GPS. Uh, but there, there are initiatives that I would describe as more company-specific as opposed to industry or network-oriented. Yeah, so it's it's interesting space. I mean, ATC is is and 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 the GMP, but the grain sector in general are are like I said, we we're quite unique in in the visibility we do have. Um, this is not in you mentioned a, a couple of both the government's efforts and the West Coast West Coast Port Visibility Project, which are you know, very, I, th I would say just very very focused on on parts of of the visibility of the network. And then, um, but but aren't necessarily as comprehensive as say what what we're getting from the ATC, which is even still not ATC covers a lot, but not, isn't necessarily cover the whole thing uh, from the grain sector. Um, but I guess before we get into why we haven't necessarily seen the growth in ATC like projects or or even the entire network, why why is visibility important, Mill? Like, so what why should people care about it? Um, and put all this effort in, into it. Obviously, people are, uh, and we have a lot of work to go. But but what is what is driving that? What why do we need this? It's a good question, you know. And if you ask different people that same question, like most questions, you'll get different answers. But what we have in Canada is a situation where we are, you know, a net exporting nation, and most of what we export. Um, is resource-based, whether that's grain or it's sulfur or it's potash, forest products, coal, take your pick. I mean, we are a resource-based country. Most of that stuff gets exported to the rest of the world. And to get to tidewater, it needs to move by rail. I mean, it's really the only viable um, mode of transportation to move those kinds of commodities into those, in those kinds of volumes um, to export position. And that's the way the supply chains have been structured. I mean, that's why you have all the major terminals for grain and other commodities in Vancouver and Prince Rupert and, and Thunder Bay and everywhere else. And even stuff that doesn't go out by a tidewater tends to be exported by a rail, so directly to the US, if you will. So when you think about that, the dependence on rail from a Canadian economic perspective is huge. And the situation that exists today 
is that we, we the country or, or uh, you know, commercial interests in Canada across all of these different commodity sectors rely on the performance of two um, corporations, Canadian National Railways and Canadian Pacific Railway. And despite the outsized role that they play in the economic well-being of Canada, if you want to think of it in those terms, there's very little that anybody knows about what is going on on those respective railway networks at any point in time. I'll give you an example, I think maybe, which is probably the easiest way to explain why this kind of visibility has value and should have value, if not only to rate, uh, freight shippers that use rail, but to the government who are the primary agent of, of regulation and oversight. At the end of June this year, we had, of course, the unfortunate wildfire situation in Southern BC, specifically around Lytton, BC. And those wildfires resulted in uh, major damage to the main lines of both CN and CP, um, which effectively cut off access to and from the port of Vancouver. In CP's case, for five days, in CN's case for 13 days, and even beyond that, probably for four to six weeks after the fact, and this occurred on June the 30th, you know, during the so-called recovery period, um, things weren't moving at a normal pace. There were capacity restrictions, partly because of the need to repair damaged rail track, partly because of government orders that limited railway operations uh, out of concern for uh, wildfires. So that, you know, the pipeline to and from Vancouver was effectively shut down for almost a week and then operated at minimal capacity for a number of weeks to follow. So to give you some perspective on that, the Port of Vancouver handles about 145 million metric tons of cargo a year. That's in and out. Most of it, as I said earlier, resource-based and uh, arrives and departs the port by rail. Most of what's inbound would be intermodal traffic containers. Uh, most of what's outbound tends to be bulk commodities. So just in broad strokes, if you break that down, that's about 400 to 500,000 tons of quote unquote commodities per day. So we had a five day outage at the start of July where there was zero access to the port to or from. So we're talking about basically having put a plug on two to two and a half million metric tons of cargo that could not get to or leave the port of Vancouver. And then when you factor in the extended outage on CN, and then the slow recovery for the next two, three, or four weeks until operations resumed, you know, something close to normal. It's, it's not, you know, outlandish to say that service was probably uh, uh, impacted for something like 10 million tons of traffic in that four to six week period. And that doesn't even begin to talk about the disruption to, you know, the vessels that are trying to load at Vancouver, offload goods at Vancouver. Uh, one has no commodities to load, the other one has no place to offload the ones that are coming in. So it's, it's a significant disruption and, and the Port of Vancouver handles you know, over 2,500 vessels a year. So 
you know, a week doesn't sound like a lot, but when you do the math, they're actually big numbers. So when we think about it, you know, that scale of disruption to what is a critical supply chain link for the Canadian economy writ large. And through all of that, nobody other than on a very limited basis, I would say ATC and to some extent the GMP through the visibility they had on grain traffic only um, could see what was going on uh, within the network. So nobody had the ability to really assess the extent of the impact or the damage or have visibility on the recovery that would follow that and the execution, equally important, of that recovery. And when you think about it, that's just one piece of the rail network, right? That's just the port of Vancouver. Then you've got the port of Prince Rupert, you've got the port of Thunder Bay, the port of Montreal, the port of Halifax, and then all of the other pieces to the network uh, within Canada. So when you get down to it, the essence of the argument is that that level of economic dependency on two companies, CN and CP, frankly warrants greater visibility for both system users and for the government. Unfortunately, so far, that hasn't happened to any great extent. And the reality is it may not. Yeah, and, and it, you know, the impact of not having that visibility is, is you have, and, and we hear it from both farmers and shippers, is that it leaves everyone scrambling, guessing, just reacting to basically the, the obstacles that are faced within the transportation system. So if you have no idea when you're going to get service or you have um, no idea when the recovery is going to happen, what kind of capacity is going to be available, it has a snowball effect through the whole system, right? Where you've, you've lined up your, your, your whole supply chain with the expectation that you're going to get that initial rail move. And, and if you don't get it, you know, that ends up costing everybody money. You may miss on a contract. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's the, the, the biggest impact. There's a real economic impact to not having that visibility where everyone just pays more, less margin, impacts businesses, impacts farmers, impacts the Canadian economy. So, you know, the more visibility you have, and we have so much visibility in our daily lives and all these things, like, you know, when buses are arriving, you know, when generally when planes are arriving, everything, everything, everyone can make plans and, 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 and decide when things are going to happen, make the most efficient decisions. But, um, but if we, you have no idea, have no visibility on that one big move, that rail move, it's, it's, it's very problematic. Um, and something we see right now on the container side, for sure, where, trips that you would usually take 30 days to get a container to India now take, you know, a hundred days. Uh, and you just have no idea when you're going to get that, that product there. Um, so as you say, Mel, we, we, we've come in the grain sector part, part of the way we have some pretty good programs and obviously they're always evolving, but, um, the big question is why we haven't sort of cracked this nut, uh, for, for the full visibility of, of the network. And, I think what we'll do is we'll get into this a bit more detail on, on our podcast next week uh, to really get into why is it so difficult? Why do we have so many uh, roadblocks to, um, to getting the visibility we need? So um, appreciate your thoughts today, Milt. Um, we'll talk next week a little bit more on this and potentially come up with some solutions 
who knows? But for those of you who'd like to see the reports, you can go to www.agtransportcoalition.com and we'll talk to you all next week.